What kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CATR. This is The City. I'm your host, Andy Longhurst. And today on the show, I'll be speaking with Ivan Drury of the Carnegie Community Action Project about the City of Vancouver's development permit approval um, of the controversial sequel 138 uh, condo development on the former Pantages Theatre site in the downtown east side. And we'll be talking about uh, issues around this. Uh, in the second half of the show, I will be speaking with uh, more UBC geographers on Vancouver's sa- soundscapes and their relationships to community and children's health. So, all that ahead, stay with us. And welcome to the city here on CATR 101.9 FM from 5 to 6 p.m. Um, for some critical uh, reflections and discussions um, on and about the city. So first on the show, I have um, Ivan Jury from the Carnegie Community Action Project, part of um, Downtown Eastside Not for Developers Coalition. And Ivan, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Um, so... Uh, yesterday, certainly a lot happened. Um, um, first, maybe you can provide uh, some context for uh, those unaware of what this uh, development is and uh, uh, basically a little bit of history about it. Yeah, so the uh, Pantages Theatre site was purchased by uh, by Mark Williams, who is a uh, uh, pro- is currently the property owner and proposed or now accepted developer of that site. Uh, he purchased it back in 2004. Uh, for $400,000 and added it to two other properties that he had already uh, uh, put together on the block. Um, for Altogether, he paid about $2 million for the five adjacent lots, which make up the whole center section of the Hunter Block uh, of East Hastings between the Regent and the Brandeis Hotels. Um, this block is, uh, is an extremely important area for the low-income community in the downtown east side. Uh, about a thousand people, uh, low-income people on welfare, disability, or old-age pension, uh, almost almost entirely uh, live on that block uh, in um, in the Regent, the Brandies um, hotels, and the Balmoral across the street, as well as in some non-market uh, buildings, some hotels that were bought by the province in the lead-up to the Olympics, um, the uh, or before that, the Sunrise, the Washington, and the, the Roosevelt, as well as the Ford Building. But it's a high concentration of low-income people who. Also, are many of whom have uh, uh, compromised health um, uh, health conditions and who struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder and other and other disorders from uh, from the legacies of colonialism and racism um, and uh, institutionalization uh, throughout the city, province, and this and this country. 
so this project is landing in the midst of um, uh, midst of a multiply oppressed population, people who depend on their housing there as the last stop before homelessness, and also people who depend on the cult- critical cultural and support services that exist on that block, uh, which include the Carnegie Community Center, where thousands of people get food every day and access uh, cultural or, um, programming, um, and the downtown, downtown Eastside Women's Center, which is around the corner, and the Aboriginal Front Door Society, which is the only organization run by and for Aboriginal people in the, uh, in the downtown Eastside, um, as well as Insight, which is the, uh, the North America's only legal supervised injection site. Um, so this, this block is, uh, is the heartland, really, of the, of the low-income community, and it, it is host to, it's host to all of those things that the Carnegie Action Project talks about when we say that, uh, that we need to protect the low-income community's assets. Right. So that's a, all a lot to say that um, this background is really uh, one where we are feeling gentrification pressures now um, in, the, uh, in the very heart of the low-income community, and this project represents uh, all of those threats um, uh, here where everything counts the most. Absolutely. Um, can you tell me uh, what happened yesterday? Uh, so this um, is, well, just now uh, went through the development permit stage, has been approved unanimously. Um, can you tell me what happened yesterday? Yeah, yesterday was the, well, for us, it was the, uh, it was kind of a, an important touchstone in a, in a year-long campaign against the SQL 138 condo proposal, um, which was, uh, which first went to the city about a year ago and was rejected in its first form and then came back. Now, when we found out about the new proposal just, uh, just in, just as the new year began, um, so we had a series of actions leading up to this one, uh, and collected an additional thousand signatures on top of the 2,000 petition signatures we collected last year. Um, and in this month, we also um, organized an, an important rally in the Carnegie Theatre where 16 organizations spoke out against it. Uh, and then just last week, we went to City Council to argue that this uh, SQL 138 proposal should not be decided upon by an appointed board of, uh, of developers and city officials, but should be decided by City Council uh, and in consult- close consultation with the low-income community. Um, but we interrupted council chambers and, uh, and occupied them for an hour and a half. And then this week, uh, we went uh, up to up to the development permit board um, to uh, to make our voices heard one last time before they voted. Um, and uh, we found ourselves uh, facing an unusual situation for a development permit hearing, where the hearing was being held in a relatively small room with only about 30 seats uh, and a, a video stream going out to another room, uh, where most of the most of the people from the community were forced to stay. There, was, there were 20, 22 police officers on site when we arrived, and they formed a cordon that blocked Sorry, us Sorry, say that again. How many? That, that 20, 22 cops? There were 22 cops when we um, arrived, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we, we, uh, uh, we were, the community was upset about this because um, it was yet another instance of the city blocking the participation of the people who, are, who stand to be most affected by this project, blocking their voices from being heard. Um, and blocking them from being able to support each other as they stood up to speak against the project because it's an extremely intimidating environment. Um, consider that the development permit board, um, the people who were there anyway, was an, was an entirely white jury, um, including the city staff members who were, who were, uh, who were sitting in the tier behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were facing a, 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 a panel of all upper-class white people, most of, them, most of them real estate investors or people who were who are uh, implicated in the, in the real estate development industry in the city, including city uh, officials who are, who are kind of in the higher levels of approving these processes. Um, so we testified there for six hours after initially 
we pushed to have them try to move the room, and we uh, we we were pushed back. I, um, I, I watched some of the footage, uh, the film footage um, from it, and uh, is it is it not uh, common for them to put this in council chambers for such a large hearing? Yeah, there were fifty as of yesterday morning. There were there were fifty people signed up to speak at the hearing, and um, and they refused pre- to move it. Was <laughs> that uh, when fifty eight West Hastings went forward to development hearing? Um, there were uh, there were a similar number of people registered to speak, and so they they hosted it in in city council chambers to allow the public to participate in a fair way. Right. Uh, it's unusual for them to hold it in such a room like this and to call in the police to stop people from being able to access the the, the, the permit board. So, so now reflecting on this, um, this has been approved, um, uh, and essentially development can start. Um, what's, uh, I know this has been a long, a long campaign and a long struggle. Um, what's, is there a next step to oppose, um, this project? Yeah, there are next steps. I mean, we were very disappointed, not actually not surprised, but disappointed to, to hear the results of the development permit board's uh, deliberations. Because we testify, the low-income community mostly testified to them for six hours last night, um, and the, basically the only people who spoke in favor of the of the uh, of the uh, proposal were people who have financial or career investments in the project, and the permit board allowed them to speak anyway, even though they should have been, I think, considered part of the application team. Uh, so it was almost unanimously, uh, almost unanimous opposition was voiced, and they failed to address any of the uh, any of the criticisms that were put forward, whether they were legal um, uh, policy or human rights uh, comp- issues that were brought forward. So there is a spreading feeling in the community that the city processes are not working for us. That we spend invest tons of time in in preparing and uh, supporting low income people to go to city go to city hall and speak out about issues. And they go through the motions, but there's a feeling that the decision is made well before we even arrive, and that the, the, that they have been uh, essentially rubber stamped, and that our concerns are uh, are are heard only to allow us to make them so that we don't turn to other venues. That's not to say we're going to stop working with the city. We're committed to working through the local area planning process and the other spaces that we can um, that we can work for the future of this community uh, uh, through the vision of low-income people themselves. Um, but we've been discussing other avenues as well, and it's important to notice that in the city, uh, uh, the politics are not made at City Hall in um, in isolation. And um, I think that uh, what's clear to us is that uh, the d- developers wield far too much power uh, in city politics, and I think that it would be to the benefit of uh, of working uh, working people, renters, and marginalized and oppressed and low-income people throughout the city who make up the majority of people who live in the city uh, if we can push back against this developer control. Um, we need to introduce some other political dynamics into this city. It's becoming increasingly urgent. We need to put social housing back on the table um, as a government responsibility and not as a charity. And we need to, uh, uh, we need to ensure that real estate speculation is brought under control um, no matter who's doing the buying or the speculating. Um, and so the next steps uh, are, are really important. Um, but what's the most important part of it from our community and the downtown east side is that people are hopeful. And uh, although last night's decision was really demoralizing and frustrating, uh, this morning we, held a, we called a last-minute meeting to talk about what happened last night and some next steps, and 50 people from the community showed up. Uh, for that last-minute meeting and filled the Carnegie Theater in a, in a great circle that pushed all the way back to the walls in order to talk about what to do next. 
And the main things that people that people were pushing for was to expand our coalitions, broaden the politics of our uh, of our fight back, and uh, and and get get rid of these bounds of just working within city processes. Um, so we're talking about things like starting civil disobedience training, um, and uh, and working on. Um, on opposing these these things in, uh, in the ways that, yeah. in every way that we can. Do you think it ultimately might come down to just occupying the physical site itself if this continues, and that? Certainly, yeah. uh, certainly people have been talking about doing that. Um, yeah. It's something we've been talking about for a while, and it's some, it's a it's a strategy that we've employed in the downtown east side on uh, on other occasions around around sites that are really that have that have had a lot of significance. Yeah. Uh, the Woodward the Woodward's uh, uh, site was the. Yeah was the um, focus of years and years of campaigning before it was finally before it was occupied uh, in 2002 which is we're approaching the 10-year anniversary of that occupation um, and the uh, as a 58 West Hastings which was the site of the last major development permit um, standoff uh, was the was the site of a uh, tent village during the Olympics right um, so we're no strangers to uh, to tent cities and occupations and we're uh, hopefully gonna have a warm summer and uh, something that'll be amenable to actions like that if you had to speculate, and, and no pun intended on this, do you think the Woodward's uh, redevelopment project has set um, projects like this in motion? It has. Woodward started the gentrification uh, spree, buying spree in this neighborhood, and that's what makes us so worried about the Pantages project, um, because Woodward's proved that uh, major condo projects can make money for rich people uh, in this in this neighborhood. Uh, and the pressure of that shut down or converted into higher income housing every hotel uh, uh, in the blocks surrounding Woodward's and flipped most of those storefronts that used to serve low-income people into boutiques and high-end restaurants. We see that same pressure already acting in Chinatown, uh, in, su- in southern Chinatown around the B6A and Ginger projects, uh, condo projects. There's already boutique shops opening down there. And there's, uh, there's 688 condos units proposed for the downtown east side right now, and we're expecting many more in Chinatown. The Oppenheimer District is the last area where, uh, where this speculation is not leapt up out of control because there's never been a project that proves that developers can make money in that area. Right. Pantages is the first one, so it's a major threat, and it's very important that we stop it. We don't consider it one at this point. Mark Williams should not be celebrating yet. What is the significance of, um, of Mark Williams' um, divide-and-conquer strategy? He's um, really changed his tune um, in after realizing that maybe the initial tone uh, wasn't working in, in terms of uh, getting artists on board and trying to um, get buy-in from uh, uh, service providers in the downtown east side, sort of marketing as, as something this is for, uh, you know, service workers and uh, frontline workers to live in. And it's very much a discourse of uh, this is inclusive and this is uh, bringing effective and positive change. Um, what do you make of that um, strategy? He's mostly turned away from that strategy, um, from talking about building inclusive communities to uh, turning toward the politics of hate mongering mm-hmm. uh, and going after drug users um, and street level drug dealers. Uh, and let's be clear that street level drug dealers are themselves drug users who are really marginalized people who are multiply oppressed, some of them without citizenship status, uh, and a lot of them with, uh, with multiple health conditions, and addiction, including addictions, uh, who live in dire poverty. Um, the people who are the most vulnerable, people whose lives are the most disposable, who are heavily stigmatized and targeted for police violence. Most of them are, many of them are homeless or living in uh, precarious shelters. 
these are the people who Mark Williams has gone after and uh, and fingered as subhuman uh, people. He's called them rats um, and has declared that he that his project will displace them from the Hunter Block and acts as though this is a positive thing for the community. What is absolutely abhorrent is that these people are the community, uh, and the media discourses are so powerful um, that it's uh, that it acts as an, as an agent of division even within the downtown east side. Yeah. But what's fantastic about our the downtown east side not for developers coalition and what we've been doing is is refusing to accept those um, those lines. And we've been saying that drug users and homeless people are the community here um, and are and are no less valued than any other person in this community. And we're not going to allow any of them to be thrown thrown under the bus or uh, sacrificed uh, by Mark Williams. Well, well put. Well put, Ivan. Um, I want to ask you more broadly. I'll let you go quickly here. Um, but if you could talk about uh, the role that um, Vision Vancouver and the municipal government um, is playing um, more broadly within uh, not only the downtown east side, but within the city, um, certainly we've seen letters um, written by uh, gentrification scholars right here in Vancouver um, who know how these processes operate. Uh, very well, and yet empirically, uh, that doesn't seem to even hold any sway um, uh, at, at the city level, and at the certainly we saw at the development um, permit uh, approval level. So, what, what ultimately, what does it take, um, and where, where are we headed? Um, so the uh, uh, yeah, we did receive a letter from thirty academics uh, just before going to the development permit hearing, and. Um, there were also uh, the real expert statements that came out of people in the community, um, including heavily well-researched statements that rely on the city's own information and their own policies that we called for them to be consistent with, mm -hmm. uh, and none of that swayed them. Um, you know, it has the uh, it has the feeling of um, that the uh, arguments actually feel uh, like a red herring in these cases because they're not actually interested in arguments or in logic. Uh, it's, uh, it's a different style of politics, um, and it really is a question that money is running things. And it's, it feels like a cliche, uh, but um, someone has bought City Hall. Uh, and um, in order to push back against that, it means that we have to wield a different kind of power, and we have to push back against them. Okay, Ivan, any final thoughts before I let you go? Uh, I just want to um, say that we need to. It's, uh, I think it is. It's incumbent upon people who live in every part of this city, working people, low-income low people, um, to uh, recognize and defend the idea that the downtown east side is not alone. Um, people struggle with similar issues all throughout this city, and we shouldn't allow we shouldn't allow the struggles of this community um, to be uh, to be hived off. We need to strengthen and build on solidarity here, and uh, recognize the commonalities of struggle. And that these are these struggles around housing and human rights are the struggles of, of working people uh, everywhere in this city and of uh, and of indigenous people for land rights and against displacement throughout this province. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on the show, Ivan. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. That was Ivan Drury from an organizer with the Carnegie Community Action Project, um, which is part of the downtown uh, east side uh, not for developers coalition um, made up of a number of groups working in the downtown east side. And uh, we were talking about the recent approval um, at the de development permit um, uh uh, body at the city of Vancouver to move forward with the sequel 138 um, development um, at Maine and Hastings. 
Um, we're going to be taking a little bit of a music break, and then we're going to be coming back to talk um, part two on Vancouver's acoustic cartographies. We're going to be talking specifically about the effect of sound pollution and uh, health outcomes here in the city of Vancouver. Stay with, stay with us. This is the city here on CITR 101.9 FM. We're streaming at citr.ca, uh, cable FM 88.5, and uh, you can also find more information about this show at thecityfm.wordpress.com. Une fois
Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts downtown at 212 Productions, Beach Street Records, Blim, Dream Apparel, The Fall Tattooing, The Kiss Store, Heart and Soul Clothing Inc., Hits Boutique, Pacific Cinematech, Scratch Records, Final Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and Zoo Shop. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. As interesting as listening to this PSA is, there's nothing quite like watching it. Watching what, you ask? The annual showcase of films that accompany it as part of the POV, or Persistence of Vision, Film Festival. This showcase of short films written, directed, shot, edited, and produced by students in the film production program at UBC happens only once a year. On April 27th and 28th, join the POV Festival at the Empire Granville 7 Cinemas in the heart of downtown Vancouver as these magnificent films are debuted. For tickets and information, visit povfilmfestival.com. And welcome back to the city on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting live from the University of British Columbia, from the Student Union Building. And um, we're now in the second half of the show, and I have um, Ian Marchabanks in studio, and we're going to be talking um, about more about Vancouver's acoustic cartographies. And um, Ian was part of another group from an undergraduate research methodologies course um, in the UBC Geography Department. Um, And their group uh, did a lot of work on um, sound pollution and uh, looking at the effects of this on uh, children's health and more broadly community health. Um, So we're going to dive right into that discussion. And Ian, I first want to thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for having me. And um, why don't you say that again? Because I didn't actually hit the button. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Andy. (laughs) My pleasure. Um, So I did a very brief synopsis, but uh, tell me a little bit more about where um, this project came from and and, uh, really what it is. Well, Soundscapes uh, is a field of study that really originated in Vancouver at SFU in the 1970s. uh, And it... uh, came about because Vancouver was suffering from a large amount of of noise pollution, particularly from traffic. And so um, we wanted to follow in that tradition and also to look at um, how gentrification and suburbanization um, is uh, and the rising rents in Vancouver have created different soundscapes in different spaces. For instance, uh, False Creek, we always uh, kind of put that on a pedestal as what Vancouver is represented by, what kind of city it is, is reflected in False Creek's architecture, in its seaside um, recreation, the seawall. We feel that that's what's quintessentially Vancouver, but in reality, uh, and speaking of youth, um, a lot of families have actually been pushed out of those areas and therefore don't have real access to it. So the kids that grow up in Vancouver, they don't grow up in that Vancouver. They grow up in a very different one. Uh, and they're living more on the east side. They're also living much more in the south. And I think uh, that that's something that we're going to be talking about a lot more uh, in the future is is the division between north and south and not east and west. In and and so these um, demographics are derived from Statistics Canada, is that right? Yeah, this okay. is from the 2006 census. Uh, it, it really, you know, since 1999, we've been looking at a trend towards um, 
children moving out of the downtown area, moving out of the west side of Kitsilano, and um, a lot of more uh, college students moving in and a lot more young professionals moving in to those areas and you know spending money that they can because they don't have families to support. Uh, the places that families are moving tend to actually be the places where the car traffic is, again, the greatest. So, you know, we've solved the problem of traffic noise in False Creek, but we've just pushed it out to Marpole and Surrey and these other areas where families then are able to find housing that's in their price range. Uh, interestingly, the city did make allotments for uh, having uh, family-suitable housing in North and South False Creek, but that's usually measured by how much actual square footage is in those uh, those apartments, particularly in North Falls Creek. Um, South Falls Creek actually does have a significant amount of uh, social housing that is very appropriate and, and, and does have a lot of the same benefits that the market housing in the area has. Uh, North Falls Creek, actually, we find all the social housing is clustered next to the uh, automotive corridors, such as the Granville Street Bridge. So you might be next to the nice, quiet neighborhood, but you're in the one loud part of it. Hmm, interesting. Um, so maybe we'll you you brought a couple of um, sound clips uh, with you. Um, do you want to dive into one of those and, and start talking about what what we hear? Yes. Well, uh, first I wanted to show you uh, False Creek. So uh, False Creek, uh, we we did literally um, probably about a hundred recordings, if not more, um, of these different areas in False Creek and, and Marpole, and of the, those, it was really just devastating to trim this down to a two-minute clip, but... Um, <laughs> but that's what people get. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we really have some amazing sounds here and a lot of amazing contrasts here. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about what we're actually going to be listening to. I'll tell you a little bit, bit about the areas. The first clip you're going to hear is of Starbucks um, outside and inside, and then we're going to transition to uh, Granville Street uh, on the south side of downtown and then uh we're going to go near granville uh bridge um in an area that has a lot of social housing and a lot of new construction uh and then we're going to go near Elsie royal elementary to um a park uh where we're going to hear some um other sounds uh i'm not going to ruin it um divulge everything yeah okay uh, and then we're going to go into south falls creek uh where we're going to be um down by the social housing, also by the park. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, while you guys are listening out there, I'd like you to kind of play along with us, perhaps, and try to either, uh, you know, take out a pen and paper uh, or just take notes about what kind of sounds you're hearing and also what kind of juxtapositions you're hearing. Are there, you know, uh, are there bird sounds next to children? Are there no people there? Are there no cars? Or can you hear the cars in the background? And I know it's radio, but try your best to listen to those background noises because they're always there, and it's something that the recordings really capture in a way that you don't uh, appreciate when you're actually in the space that they're created in. Okay, here's the clip. Thank you. 
Okay, False Creek. So what you heard in that clip, um, we started with the Starbucks and children are standing outside. We go inside and we're in this consumer space. We're in a space where everybody who's sitting there has spent at least $3 on coffee and sometimes as much as 10 or 15. So, you know, this isn't, um, these aren't uh, working class children. These <laughs> are you know, kids who have their parents' credit card. Um, that's a certain class of kids. Uh, and you have a certain class of professionals and adults in that space as well. But it's also a space of refuge from the noise outside. So there's that contrast. There's those that are benefiting from this um, from this better, healthier soundscape. Um, and I'd like to, to mention at this point that a lot of the research that we base this study upon come down to the uh, the psychological and physical health effects of noise pollution and particularly traffic noise on children's development uh, and their um, ability to learn and focus and concentrate in school. Uh, when children are exposed to traffic such as airports or freeways or, you know, in, in our case, Southwest Marine Drive, uh, there's a, a strong correlation, uh, well documented, between that and, and disorders such as ADHD and ADD, uh, as well as hypertension in children and um, obesity and all sorts of, of knock-on effects that come from living in a stressful environment where you're constantly trying to strain this noise out of your consciousness. Um, and so that's that's one of those contrasts that you see, being able to go into Starbucks. Uh, and then on Granville Street, you heard a lot of the transit, a lot of the pedestrians. And incidentally, there's a lot of social housing on that corridor as well, which is just actually outside of the, the study area that we had. Um, but still, they're going to be... Uh, they're going to be experiencing a lot of that transit noise, the kneeling bus, the beeping, the the buses passing, the the cable cars. Um, these are the things that, that social housing um, residents are experiencing in those neighborhoods. Now, what if somebody says, "Well, you just tune it out. Like you you kind of learn to you learn to live in an environment, and some of these noises are just urban sounds, and they're part of they're part of the reality of living in a city." Well, that's very true, and uh, you know certainly we've um, you know heard from a lot of residents in, in downtown as much as they love living there that uh, that they they aren't happy with the noise. This is particularly important with children because yes, you can filter it out, and that does take a lot of of, of your concentration and mental faculties to be able to filter that out. And that is mental energy that is not being spent on learning. It's not being spent on uh, development um, and, and the good kind of uh, school um, 
habits that are going to help these kids to get to uh, a better social uh, place in their lifetimes and their parents. Hmm. Interesting. Um, should we move to the next clip? Yeah. Um, so the next clip is of Marpole. And what we're hearing here is um, a lot of um, passing cars, um, children being taken to sports practice, uh, a lot of construction, as we heard, uh, in False Creek, and children um, children playing in, in, in parks uh, in, in uh, part of Marpole. Uh, what is really striking here is, unlike False Creek, which had a lot of this new urban housing construction, which really served to buffer the noise um, that you heard from Granville, uh, to keep that out of spaces that are along the waterfront, uh, such as where you heard the geese and, and the songbirds and the pedestrians uh, jogging and enjoying those spaces. Um, and what you see in Marpool is a lot more diffusion of those noise and a lot more blurriness. So uh, I'm going to just turn that over to the clip and let you hear some of that for yourselves. And while you're listening to this, try to focus on, uh, again, what noises they juxtapose with each other. Is there a lot of traffic where kids are playing? Uh, where do you hear the, the birds? Um, and the birds in particular, I, I'd like you to, to try to think about that. So I really noticed that it, it's interesting how it picks up um, that that grumble and vibration at the end. It was 
it must have been an, an exhaust pipe or a nearby car, but it, it's interesting how much you can hear that. You can almost feel like you're part of it. Um, but yeah. yeah, so that was Marple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was Marple. Um, yeah, what was interesting about that is uh, how few children were actually outside. We heard a lot of children that were inside houses or running home from the car. A lot of children getting into cars to go to sports practice. Um, and that was really interesting and telling. I, I think uh, some of the benefits that we talk about with uh, with densification are that people mix more. And you get to have more conversations with strangers. Uh, and that's something that these kids aren't, aren't getting, um, which... I think it's very interesting. What what kind of Vancouver are they growing up in, and what kind of Vancouver are they going to 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 live in when they're adults? Um, and and so the adultification of space is another um, kind of pattern that we were uh, looking at and exploring towards the end of the project. Uh, that was something that that really stood out at us. Well, yeah, I think a lot of this it's interesting because it does touch on the fact that. Um, Often, very expensive neighborhoods um, have very f- have uh, fewer children than neighborhoods that are more affordable. Um, but also, on the same hand, um, it's interesting in the city of Vancouver because you have schools, elementary schools, um, that are emptying out on the east side because there's this perceived idea that on the west side the schools are better. So you have a lot of east side families, but they're sending their schools to west side public schools. So spatially, it's very interesting, and I think. Certainly, the research touches on a lot of these uh, dynamics. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, you know, and we also have to consider what time those kids living in East Side schools are actually spending on buses, and what kind of soundscapes are inside the buses. What kind of you know thoughts are they having when they're spending a half an hour on the bus, and and how are they using that time? And is that something that that takes them time to actually overcome as they they leave that space? Um, another thing that we heard, and it was common with uh, with Granville, um, the Granville Bridge area, was that we heard a lot of house construction in Marpole. And obviously housing prices are rising all across the city. And that is something that we're going to be dealing with for some time is construction yeah. in your neighborhood on a consistent basis or on a periodic basis, well, you know, sometimes for months or yeah. even years. On that, on that note, I uh, have a house actually too... Two houses in the last um, month that were month or month and a half that were knocked down um, and are in the uh, construction phase now, and one actually that was demolished two days ago on the same block. So, yeah, I, wo- I mean, I woke up to that noise, hearing major um, uh, dump trucks come up and pick up rubbish, and uh, it's certainly, I mean, in a way, it's a sound. It's a sound of um, of almost the loss of um, history in a neighborhood, right? Because yeah. you're, losing, you're losing the built form, you're losing um, the past of a neighborhood, and I think a lot of that is represented through um, the built form. So I think it's certainly interesting, and just uh, <laughs> when you said that, like, waking up to that noise, I certainly know what you're talking about. So Yeah, and also the, not just the, the visual landscape, but also the sonic landscape, because sound doesn't just happen in a neighborhood on its own. It, it performs on the built environment, and it bounces off the built environment. It's absorbed by the built environment. So uh, one pattern and one uh, theme that, that kept reoccurring was how uh, 
planners use different kinds of building types to create different soundscapes across the city. And False Creek, I, I think, really represented some of the best use of that and the best balance of that, where you were actually able to cut uh, in that last clip in False Creek, the noise from Broadway, which is only a couple of blocks to the north, almost completely. You can't hear a, a car in, in that sound recording. Uh, but yet it's a few blocks away from medium density. The False Creek North area, on the other hand, had a lot of these skyscrapers and office buildings. And you did have a lot of traffic. There were just traffic pushed into certain spaces and isolated from other spaces. Um so yeah it's 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 almost as if you're divorcing certain parts of the city sonically from others uh, whereas uh if you're living in in North Falls Creek uh on the shore you think that it's a quiet neighborhood yet a few blocks away your neighbors are having a very different experience and maybe even a hard time with the amount of traffic noise Okay, well, uh, why don't we take a quick break, um, and then I want to come back and I want to ask you um, more about the research process and how you decided to choose the sound walks that you did, um, and on your sound walks, um, really how you um, how you became part of the sounds that you were hearing and part of that entire landscape itself. So. Stay with us. This is The City on CITR 101.9 FM, and uh, it's going on 5.50. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show, um, and we're talking about um, urban sound ecologies and, and landscapes um, and visual and, and um, sonic lands, landscapes. Um, so stay with us. Um, this is The City. How much do you know about bites? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. Twist. 
synth cake with twisted music box uh, just to pull some music with some um, perhaps unusual sounds um, uh, just to go along with our discussion on urban soundscape so Ian um, as just as we finish up um, what was the research process like and um, what was the experience of um, capturing sound and being out there um, certainly part of of uh, the soundscapes Yeah, that was a really interesting experience doing the research. Uh, It really opened our eyes to a lot of things that we weren't expecting to find. Um, You know, the the process of going out on a walk and curiously uh, trying to observe what would be interesting sounds for somebody to listen to in a two-minute composition, Uh, but also when you're looking for something, you're not focusing on everything else that's there. And so listening to these sound, songs, uh, excuse me, sa- sounds over and over again, uh, and there are, there are songs, um, you hear so many different details, so many different levels, so many different layers that you don't hear the first time. Uh, it really takes a, a very uh, attentive ear 
to work through all those layers and and you do really have to just listen to them over and over again to keep hearing more and more and then you tell a story based on what you were actually listening to what where do those sounds come from and what do you know about that from different places uh and what can you say about the intermingling of those different sounds for instance the children on the playground and the idling car the tires screeching within an earshot of children playing hockey what does that say about the planning process uh and and that took us to to have a lot of conversations with planners about what exactly happened there how did they put a park next to one of the busiest traffic corridors in vancouver and whose idea was that and what are they going to do about that and uh, oak street park which is actually where you heard those uh, sounds of hockey actually is going through a planning process where they're going to be looking at uh, at, at the community center there and what ways they can uh, better better design that. And, and we hope that uh, the city does take that into advisement. Um, you know, the exposure of children to the noise that's not going away. Okay, so maybe the final takeaway that we need to really listen to our to our landscape and and be attentive and, and make planning decisions based on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Cool. Well, Ian, I want to thank you so much for coming in um, and being part of this discussion. Um, this is The City, and you can find The City um, as a podcast at thecityfm.wordpress.com, as well as off CITR's website, citr.ca, as well as many, many other wonderful podcasts. And uh, you've been listening on 101.9 FM here in Vancouver. CITR.ca is our web stream, and as well, Shaw Cable FM 88.5. And uh, this podcast will be made available shortly after um, Get Out of the Booth. And uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show or ideas about um, stories to follow or interviews, um, guests to have on the show, please get in touch with me, thecity.citr at gmail.com. You can also find the city on Twitter at the city on CITR as well as Facebook by that same name. Um, we're going to finish off with a track from Kathleen Edwards, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in, um, and I look forward uh, to continuing discussions about the city um, in a critical um, and attentive way to uh, the many changing changing dynamics in our cities. So uh, stay tuned for Flex Your Head coming up next, and uh, I'll see you next Tuesday.
hardcore stuff is just is fast, very aggressive and loud, you know, music, angry music. <laughs> <laughs> 